0: You know these these machinists, these experts in their trade, they know what what they expect out of a business, or what they want, or how they want to be treated, or what needs to go into the company to run it. And um, so, you know, I spend a lot of time listening.
1: Welcome to the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast, where we uncover the stories behind successful machine shops and their owners. By interviewing current and former shop owners, we dig deep to unveil their secrets of success and the struggles and challenges they've overcome on their paths to building thriving shops. We aim to elevate how important the machining industry is and inspire others by highlighting why owning a shop can be a great vehicle to creating jobs, stimulating the economy, and creating wealth. Here's our host, former machine shop owner himself, Paul Van Meter.
2: hello my friends and welcome to another episode of the machine shop mastery podcast i am your host paul van meter and today it is truly my pleasure to bring to you a really fascinating interview that i did with a gentleman named fred Stipkowitz of ultra aerospace near kansas city fred tells an amazing remarkable story about a turnaround at their shop fred was hired in as the president uh, not more much more than a year ago and he went around the process of really listening to people, he shares how he brought pretty much everyone into the company into his office, sat with them for you know an hour, two, three hours sometimes, and just talked about their needs their 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 wants. Um, he was very empathetic and attuned to what they were asking for uh, and the, the story is pretty remarkable. Not only did he do a great job attuning to all the employees, but he really dug into some technical challenges as well. And he tells a particularly interesting story of pushing back on a customer who had some errors within their drawings and specs that were putting the company at real risk. So to me, this story really uh, underscores the importance of leadership, uh, of not necessarily even having to have a background in machining to be a great leader of a machine shop. You know, Fred came from a different background with different technical skills, but he still has excelled in this role. So... um, Anyway, I just really had a great time uh, with this interview. I thought he shared a lot of fantastic wisdom. I know this will be valuable to you in your in in your life and your role in your companies, um, and there'll be some great takeaways. So, uh, without further ado, let's go talk to uh, and learn more about Fred. Good morning, Fred. How are you doing? And thank you for joining the show.
0: Good morning, Paul. I'm doing great. Thanks for the uh, th- for the invite. Happy to be here.
2: Well, it's my honor, believe me. Um, so. We met when I went on a shop tour uh, with the NTMA conference a few weeks ago, and I was impressed with the shop, impressed with the way you were leading it, and particularly interested in some of the stories that you shared when we went through the, through the shop. So uh, yeah, I'd love for you for to introduce yourself and your shop to, to the audience.
0: Great. Thanks, Paul. Uh, it was great to have you here. And the whole NTMA organization uh, when they were in Kansas City for the uh for the national event.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, my name is Fred Stipkowitz. I'm the president of Ultratech Aerospace. We're a um, medium-sized machine shop based in Kansas City. Um, you know, as the name says, specializing in the av the aerospace uh side of things.
2: Awesome. Um so that means a lot of different things to different shops. So um I'd love for you to elaborate on just like specific types of work, types of machines that you have kind of this really the niche specialty that you guys kind of cater to.
0: Sure. Uh, So, you know, the majority of our projects are F 35 fighter programs. Mm -hmm. We um, you know, I I took over the shop about a year ago, actually a little over a year ago. So, you know, we are about a 46 person facility Uh, We've got three, four, and five access machines. Most of them are Mazaks and Moris, you know, uh, some lathes. Uh, We've got a medium-sized, you know, decent-sized capacity, about 120-inch in length capacity. And uh, we do some airframe components, and uh, mostly everything else is ground support type of equipment mm-hmm. bomb loading tables for the F35 lift fan extraction systems for the F35 uh various other uh, you know components that go on the F35 while it's on the ground and then like I said some uh on airframe things we we do some components for the T7 Red Hawk the new Saab Boeing um joint venture or if you will for uh the new trainer and mm-hmm. we've got some B2 products uh not airframe products, but B2 support, F16 and F18 support equipment. We uh, have, you know, obviously the machining side of things. We have uh, a fairly extensive kitting and assembly side where we uh, kit and assemble, you know, whether it be machine components or distributed components. We have a, a NADCAP D171 weld operation that is heavily uh, backlogged right now. Some great weld, <laughs> weld work in there. And then we have a uh, distribution side for NAS and milspec spec hardware and bearings that is pretty extensive.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was impressed with the, the assemblies that I saw, uh, the, sort of the equi- that equipment that you were building with weldments and machine parts and hardware. And it was extensive. It's, you know, complex stuff for sure. A lot of moving pieces. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background. How did you get into machining into the industry and then to be the president of this company?
0: Yeah, you know, it's um, it's been an interesting uh, opportunity. I actually have no machining background whatsoever. I have been in the aerospace, in the aviation aerospace industry for most of my life. Um, you know, have a commercial pilot's license, multi engine instrument rating. Flew a little corporate. Um, for the most part, been on the the fueling side of things worked at a number of large world leading manufacturers of aviation refueling equipment, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Uh, as a director of quality, weld inspector set up weld programs, um, you know, director of sales and service and peddled aircraft refueling equipment to oil companies around the around the country, I mean, around the around the globe, actually.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So really had, you know, good bit of manufacturing experience after I left the military, but no machine shop experience. Mm. It was uh, one of those opportunities. Uh, back in about 2018, I was looking at leaving the aviation fueling industry. Ultra Tech had a position open for a business development manager position. Okay, I said, Hey, you know, this is a close, close, but but you know, not the same you know aviation related i'll throw my name in the hat see uh, what happens mm-hmm. interviewed interviewed for a number of uh with a number of folks uh, made it to the top two you know, got the phone call that said hey sorry um really liked your background really liked everything you had to offer but we're we're going with somebody that has some machine shop industry experience uh but you know we'll hold on to your resume in case something pops up yeah, sure okay right always always say that yeah. so a few years go by i i left the aviation fueling industry moved on to start a government contracts division at a, a different manufacturing company and um you know about a july a year ago july 21 yeah july 21 got a phone call from the vp of hr that said hey remember me i uh, told you i'd save your resume <laughs>
3: um
0: I'm like yeah sure uh what do you got she's like hey i have this opportunity uh at ultra tech our um our machine shop so ultra tech is owned by not really a pe firm but kind of kind of like a pe firm it's a local family that started an investment group that you know has bought a few companies machine shops and distribution businesses uh so you know I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm open to talk. She sent me the job description. I caught her back and said, hey, you know, a little confused. A few years ago, I interviewed for a business development manager role. Now you're sending me the president role. And um, what's up? She says, well, you know, Ultratech is, uh, we've we've had some struggles with leadership and have had some struggles with, you know, figuring out the business. And we think you've got the right background understand you don't have any machine shop experience but you know we we need some some high-level leadership not somebody that can machine parts so mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know I interviewed oh man July August September October and uh, got the call um, and got the opportunity to come in and uh, try my hand at at running ultra tech so wow
3: um,
0: it was it was, hey, you know, we've got some leadership problems and we have some some uh, struggles, but uh, until I got here, didn't know the extent of that. So not only did I have a whole new industry to learn, a whole new business to learn, but you know, I walked into really a, a just a bad culture, a um, toxic environment, and. Really had you know had to spend the last year figuring out what this place is, what we do, how we do it, who are the people um, and go from there. So wow. it's, it's been one hell of a ride. Um, it's been one hell of a year, but it's been an amazing opportunity. And, and we've got some amazing uh, things in place at UltraTech right now that are just, uh, we, we've got nowhere but up to go and we're, we're climbing fast.
2: That is a very interesting and exciting story. Wow. Jumping, <laughs> jumping in with both feet. I mean, from what I saw, and the tour wasn't super extensive, it seems like things are really coming together. So I'd love to um, kind of go next with, um, well, I guess first sort of the, the context. You know, there's so many shops that get started uh, where they are someone who does have a background in machining or, or programming or, you know, they, they're journeyman, they're a tool and die maker, they're, they're good at the craft, but they jump in with both feet uh, thinking they know how to run a shop and they just really don't because um, it's a totally different set of skills, right, as, as you know. So, um, yeah, what uh, I'd love for you to just share more of sort of what, you know, the process you went through to kind of turn this thing around and get it to where it is.
0: Uh, You know, Paul, you're absolutely right. Everybody uh, wants to run their own business, wants to do their own thing, um, think, and and in many cases think that it's easy. And, you know, I spend a lot of time doing pro bono consulting for a number of veteran-owned machine, or not machine shop, but veteran-owned fabrication shops around Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a very same uh, scenario where you've got a master fabricator that can just design you know anything and um or a welder that can just lay an unbelievably beautiful artwork in in welding wants to work for themselves jumps into it with both feet and then realizes holy hell i don't even know you know the first (laughs) thing about running the business so um you know i do a lot of uh consulting and, and help these these types of companies on the outside where we talk about vendor agreements and negotiating net terms and understanding how to you know manage your net terms and your cash flow and things like that but you know when i when i came to altertech um one of the things that i did one of the very first things you know and the ownership here is amazing the ownership again doesn't have a machining background either mm-hmm. but what they know is they know what they don't know and they know kind of to let the experts uh, do their thing. So they're very hands off, but yet very supportive. And you know, awesome. when I, when I uh, interviewed and, and talked with them, I said, listen, I, I don't, don't, don't look for deliverables, major deliverables from me for the first six, eight weeks, you know, 10 weeks. I've got a, a, a people problem here. I've got a culture problem. I need to spend my time on the shop floor Um, and, and that's what I did. You know, I brought people, I brought every employee in this company through my office and we sat down and talked for two, three hours. Some people, you know, came back around for a second time. You know, these, these machinists, these experts in their trade, they know what, what they expect out of a business or what they want or how they want to be treated or what needs to go into the company to run it. And, um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time listening and a lot of time figuring out uh, what makes this this industry and and this skilled trade and this skilled labor tick and um, you know it's basic human factors you know people want to be recognized people want to yeah. be respected want to be listened to and uh, a corner office person that's gonna spend more time on the floor than sitting in their you know behind their office so it's uh, if running the business is one thing, you know, having a good accounting system, having a good ERP or, you know, a good system to help manage the, the book of business, uh, having good program managers and sales folks. But at the end of the day, if, if the chips aren't flying and the parts aren't coming off it, none of that that's on this side of the wall matters. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Wow. So I like that, uh, doing a lot of listening. (laughs) So what did you, as you did that listening with all these different folks, team, team members? um, Yeah. What, what revealed itself to you?
0: You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Some of it, most of it was little things, you know, just, just a lot of little things, guys saying, you know, hey, I've asked to have my machine moved 18 inches to the left so that we've got more space in between the machines because whenever we're both working, we're, we're rubbing elbows and, you know, that may sound like something pretty minuscule to somebody that's on, uh, on the other side of the wall that says, "Well, oh, I mean, is that really that big of a deal? Well, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, to that guy that's staying in that machine 10 hours a day, four days a week or longer, you know, that's like that's like you and I having, you know, a, a $300 comfortable office chair as opposed to a, a lower level, right? For us sitting in this chair all day long, it's important. We, we need good back support, all that type of stuff. And you, you think that it's overrated or overpriced until you sit in a crappy chair for 10 hours and you <laughs> get up and you're like, oh, shit, my back is killing me. You know, yeah. well, the same, same situation. So, you know, what revealed itself is that the little things that, these, uh, these machinists, these guys were asking for that. Weren't that big of a deal add up to be a big deal when they're ignored, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and not having a lot of machining or any machining experience or working in a machine shop also gave me a different perspective, a fresh set of eyes, you know, so when I would walk through our shop and then I'd go and visit another shop, you know, I would see, I would, I would compare. And so I visited a, a local shop and I noticed, man, all these machines are nice and brightly lit and, and I come back home and walk through mine and when we got crappy lighting. And so I'd call in my maintenance guy. I'm like, hey, uh, JJ, what's up and our our machines, man, they're not very well lit. Oh yeah, you know, we've got old machines and you know, nobody ever wanted to put put the money into to get new LED lights or brighter lights in the machines. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, okay. Well, I mean, for me, as, as a uh, fresh set of eyes, one of the first things I noticed walking through another shop is how well-lit things are. Well, we need to change that. So we, we changed that. We went out and got LED lighting and upgraded all of, all of the lighting in the machines. And, you know, we, we only have 18 machines. And it was 110 bucks a piece. You know, <laughs> sure. It's not that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, were, it were the little things, it was the little things like that, that, that we were, we were implementing and changing, as we went down the road that improved the work environment. We, Hey Dave, you want your lathe machine, you know, your lathe moved 18 inches. Okay. We'll call in the company that moves machines. How much is it going to cost? So oh, 2,500 bucks. Really? That's it. And, and for years that was that was sloughed off as not important and not of value. Get the damn machine moved tomorrow, you know.
3: Right.
0: And so it, it's the little things that added up to, to change the overall culture here. It was listening. And and the thing is, is it wasn't just, hey Joe, what do you what do you want different out there? Because everybody's going to have an opinion, right? mm-hmm. You know what they say about opinions, but it was, it was asking the follow on question. So, okay, Dave, you want your machine moved, uh, you know, give me the reason, justify it. Let me help you understand the bigger picture of how businesses run. You want your machine moved, it's going to cost you $2,500. What's what's the return on that investment? Let's let's slide you over onto my side of the desk for a minute. And let's share information. And it's that's you you teach me why it's important to move your machine and what the value of that is. And I'll and I'll help you understand how the business is run and how we how we do that and how that cost affects things and where that cost falls on our on our spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. And and you know, let's, and so you know, over the course of the year, you know, I've had these guys teach me so much about the importance of how that shop is run. And in turn, I've taught them and have helped uh explain to them how the business is run so they have a more vested interest and we can share back and forth you know if somebody comes in and says you know hey we need let's let's talk about the lights you know okay the advantage of having a brightly lit machine helps me you know measure my parts and monitor my work and do my job better and get less scrap and and better better parts off there because i'm able to to really see things and how things are going better on my machine, easy. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Reducing scrap by one piece of material just paid for that entire upgrade on lights. Sure. Oh, de- you know, so you know it's been that type of uh, that type of back and forth to help learn about the business and teach about how to run the business. Uh, mm-hmm. Simple things like accruing, how how we accrue for bonuses or how we accrue, you know, um, different, uh, you know, pots of money and explaining, explaining it that, um, you know, Hey, if we don't spend all of our accrual, we pull it back in and that adds to the bottom line. Well, what really is accruing that expense or how do we depreciate that expense? You want to spend X amount on an upgrade on a new pallet or a new tombstone. You know, how do we, Work that into our budget so that long term, you know, we uh, absorb that expense as opposed to taking a one time hit. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So um, it was really, you know, it's that that was the listening is, and then asking the question, the follow on question to get an understanding of what the return on that uh, upgrade would be.
2: Mm. That's important stuff. Um, So how how transparent are you? With the team members on the finance side, I mean, do you do do you, do you do profit sharing, or do you kind of share how you you're doing each month?
0: I am a hundred percent transparent. Um, some will say uh, that's bad business practice, but um, you know, really, if you explain it the right way and you and you go through it the right way, um, you know, maybe my maybe my ownership may not agree, but. You know, and maybe when we're super profitable, maybe there's a difference in how you handle it. But, you know, when I took over a year ago, we were staring down the barrel of a million wow. and a half dollar loss. And we closed out fiscal year 22 at 104% of EBITDA and put money in the bank. So, uh, and that's the first time in the six years, you know And I mean? I'll, I'll not afraid to air the dirty laundry that's the first time in six years this company has been profitable. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that by sharing their financials, by sharing the company performance, you get a vested interest in how people participate in the daily operations of this company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they don't understand the, the um, detriment or the negative impact of scrapping a part and they just throw it on the MRB table and move on, they don't understand how that affects the business or the exact opposite they don't know how running a job efficiently and getting more direct hours as opposed to indirect time is beneficial to the business Mm -hmm. they just come in and punch the time clock I don't I don't I don't want another everybody I want somebody everybody just wants to come in punch the time clock I'm not looking for another everybody I'm looking for somebody that's set apart from everybody else. I want somebody, and and that comes from transparency and openness. Um, I just handed out EBITDA bonuses this year, it's the first time that these that these folks have gotten EBITDA bonuses in six years. Mm -hmm. You know, and and I firmly believe that that's a, a direct result of the transparency of how the business is functioning, what the impact positive or negative is to how they perform their daily job and responsibilities. Yeah. And you know, it it pays off. You get people that are vested, people that care, people that you know understand the the inner workings and that, you know, and I also feel that it's a sign of respect to that you're not um, wow, well, you don't need to know that. You just go out there and make chips. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to be told that. Let's sit sure. down. You Anybody can walk in my office at any point in time. I'll pull up the P&L and we'll talk about it.
2: Wow. So you said doing it the right way. Do you have some tips for people on what the right way is to share and not share?
0: Um, you know, yeah, I, I guess I would say it's really um, the advice the, the, The thing is, is the right, in my opinion, I guess, the right way to share. And, you know, if I was, I guess I don't really, I don't really have a solid, hey, this is the right way to share, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's got to evaluate their business, how they do things and determine what the right way to share is. But the, the way I looked at it and the way I viewed it is I broke it down, you know, to a smaller finite level hey small tool spend right let's mm-hmm. look at small tool spend and let's talk about what we spend on small tools what the you know what what we can do to reduce spend we can't raise our prices so we have to look at opportunities to shave cost to make the business more profitable mm-hmm. so let's talk about what those opportunities are let's talk about applied hours how applied hours are beneficial and indirect hours aren't, and how you know that factors into to how you make money. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the bad decisions that happened here in the past. Right, we had we had a number of jobs that, you know, we were struggling and kicking the can down the road, and find out you know maybe we weren't using the right process or the right materials. Let's talk about how that transpired. And, and let's talk about the process leading up to that, right? It's just not a bad decision just doesn't, or a, a, a sticky situation just doesn't happen. There's a right. process that leads up to that. So let's talk about the decision process leading up to that and what was missed so we can learn from it. And and these are discussions I have with, with everybody. You know, we sit down and if a part comes off a machine <laughs> bad, and uh, let's, let's sit down and talk about how that how that part came off bad. You know, was it a programming? Was it a process? Was it a user error? And so the right way really there is no right way and there's no wrong way. I think if you share and you're open and you you know, try not to hide things, that really the truth is is the right way. Right. Um how you communicate that truth I think is is based on your business and how you want to run your business, but you know, I wasn't afraid to sit down and say, look, yeah, we're losing money. Um, we're not closing the doors. Sure. Yeah, we're losing money. So let's talk about how we make money so that everybody else can make money, because that has a trickle down effect. We make more money, you make more money. and Absolutely. Right. So let's let's talk about how we're losing money. And let's talk about how we can make more and how we can improve that and dig out of that hole and, and how you can help dig out of that hole i'm not gonna stand up here and, and scream and shout and we gotta get more efficient and we gotta do that's. Let's, let's hear your input on how we can do better and let's implement that and let's see what the results are so i don't know that you know again that there's a right way to share it but um you've you've gotta you just have to be open and transparent and help people understand the overall business and they'll understand i, I think then they'll get it from there Yeah.
2: Well, I think you just described the right way, to be honest, (laughs) that honesty, that transparency, that humility of, uh, you know, asking them how to solve particular problems that they're the experts in, you know, um, or have insights into and collaborate, um, in our shop, we, we were also very transparent. We, you know, every staff meeting every month, we would say, this is how much we brought in in sales. This is how much we shipped. This is what our expenses were this is how much direct hours we had how much overhead, you know, we had indirect. These are the jobs that went well. These are the jobs that didn't go well. Um, And we always brought it back to process kind of like you were saying, you know, if we had a job, we lost money on, what was the process that led up to that? You know, was it, what did we misquote it? Was it a bad estimate? Was it uh, you know, we spent way more in material than we were expecting. Were we breaking a lot of cutters? Did the setup take way too long? And if so, you know, Why, you know, were we missing things? Um, And I think bringing it back to process, because we definitely have a firm belief in sort of assuming positive intent, right? That everyone is trying their best and doing their best and cares about the work Um, uh, that, uh, you know, they feel badly something's not going well and uh, they'd love to solve that as well. And it really comes down to what, what, what can we fix in the process so that it goes better next time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you say, you you bring up a good point about, you know, did we bid it wrong or, or what that is, you know, there's, unfortunately in our world, no matter how small or how big you are, you know, we've got these, these big dogs that are, that we're doing business with that are 15, 20 times the size that we are, you know, and we've got to hold quotes for a year, validity of quotes for a year. And in today's market, that's brutal, you know how how do you do that? you know so we've we've had to come up with some creative ways to try to push back or renegotiate pricing or you know I know we'll talk about a, a big project here uh, at some point in this conversation mm-hmm. that you know you pinged on when when you were on the tour, you know that that was really a problem for us, mm-hmm. but um those are the uncomfortable. Uh, situations that that we find ourselves in is holding contract or holding quotes for, for a year when our metal suppliers are only offering us 24 hours or five days uh, quote validity. How do we, how do we accommodate that or factor that in? So when you can't readjust pricing, you've got to look, you know, at other opportunities. We shaved our small tool spend by 50% last year um, as a, You know, looking at small tool spend, we put heat shrink in place. We, you know, we put a consignment program in place with with tool providers so we weren't spending the cash out front. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we we put sharpening uh, regrind process in place. So we we did a lot. We were on track to spend nearly uh, just over 400,000 in small tool spend, and we we closed out fiscal year 22 at 220,000 in small tool spend. <laughs> and so, you know, with similar
2: you know, volumes of work.
0: Correct, correct, and yeah. it just had to get smarter about the way we did it, and took a little bit of investment. I mean, you no know, heat shrink machines and tool holders aren't cheap, sure. but they pay for themselves. You know, if you use them correctly, and in our situation, running some older machines. It gives us the opportunity to, to run, you know, a little faster uh, um, than we could originally. Um, sure. You know, it it also took a change in personnel. Um, you know, so we. Yeah, I
2: wanted to I wanted to get to that. Um, you talked about bringing everyone in and talking with them and hearing from them. Did you end Did you end up having to let some folks go?
0: So over the course of the last year, I replaced fifty percent of this company. And wow. the interesting thing is, is I did not terminate one single person. So okay. let's talk it about was that. A, it was a realignment of expectations. It was a realignment of how we're going to do things, um, what roles people held, and openly communicating the direction the business is headed. And you know, you were either on board or you weren't. Um, it was a strong market for you know, it's a buyer's market, job job shoppers market. So, um, there were, we, we had some hard discussions with a lot of people. Uh, hey, paying you a lot of money, not really liking what I'm seeing. You know, your scrap rates are high, your efficiency rates are, are low, your indirect hours are high. Um, what are we going to do to tighten this up? You know, we're, we're doing things to improve the company. We've invested a lot of money back into the company over the course of the last year whether it be, and again, small things on up to big, big things. We've, we've run the gamut of, of improvements over the last year. This is a two way street. And you know, you want, you want better wages, better benefits, more vacation time, more sick time, you know, more uh, bonus opportunities. I promise you, I'll get you those. Here's what I need in return. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you, don't, you don't like that idea? Well, you know, this is a two-way street. So we had from, from the top down, um, all, all um, departments in, in the company were overhauled, restructured. Um, we gave out a lot of money in pay raises. Uh, I pay banded every single employee in the company. We looked at the market. We looked at the Kansas City market. <laughs> We looked at the Mm -hmm. years of service and years of, years of experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to get people in line with, with where I felt they needed to be in the market. I had people that were well below the 50th percentile in the market or well above the 75th. I wanted to try to get people to fall in at 50 to 75% so that I had, you know, options to, uh, move people around, uh, you know, put additional duties on people. If they want more Mm -hmm. money, we'll get you more money. That's, let's get some additional responsibilities. You know, in the military, uh, you know, I was in the coast guard where we're a very small branch, everybody had a lot of collateral duties. Uh, I think at one point in time in my career, I had 11 different, 11 collateral duties at one time, in addition to my primary roles.
3: Wow.
0: So, you know, I would. Meet with you know our our team and people would say, hey, I'd like an opportunity to to branch out and do something. Okay, hey, we got to get our safety committee back online. How how would you like to chair the safety committee? I'll incentivize you financially to take on that role as a safety committee chair as a collateral duty. Mm-hmm. You want you want more money. I need more performance. So let's look at let's look at spreading the load and and I had people loved it. Right. One of, one of, uh, one of the machinists took on the role as a safety committee chair. We incentivized him, gave him, you know, an hourly bump to <laughs> take on that additional role. Mm-hmm. He got more money. We got, you know, I mean, look, this is a business, right? So let's, let's talk the elephant in the room. We got more, he got more money. We got more out of him. Right. That's, right. that's where we are. That's um, a win. Right. It's a win. And so, you know, those, People that didn't want to have those hard discussions found opportunities elsewhere, and mm. um, we got rid of a toxic culture we got rid of we had a lot of silos uh, people okay. didn't like working together, right We had wrong people in wrong roles let's let's figure it out. Um, not everybody is cut out to be a manager or a supervisor so let's figure out what role fits your skill set best, and let's realign that role. Um, I had a shop supervisor who has a tremendous amount of knowledge and experience, is an amazing machinist, did not have a good rapport with program managers or Mm -hmm. or, or his team of machinists. Mm -hmm. We sat down, had a hard conversation, Realigned his role this is a success story. He stayed realigned his role. He was no longer a shop supervisor He expressed interest in wanting to grow and and you know stay in some type of an administrative role. He's now our head estimator Phenomenal employee, you know, I mean uh, amazing performance night and day difference in personalities night and day difference in performance And, and now he's, he's rocking and rolling and he's killing it for us. You know, we had to find that right role, everybody, you know, and, and train him on now, train him on how this side of the business is run. Our, one of our best, best programmers was a machinist, want to an interest in doing something other than machining, had some performance problems as a machinist because nobody ever took the time to figure out what the right role for him was. He is now a rock star in in our programming department. And he's also the guy that heads up our safety committee. He's taken our safety committee from non existent to, to top notch, checking every box, doing air studies and you know, um, environmental studies and and safety studies and putting all kinds of safety procedures in place. Invest in, in listening to your employees and taking the time to figure out what the right role is. Those that didn't want to find the right role, found other jobs elsewhere. Those that took the time, you know, that, that took the opportunities and ran with it are, are just top-notch performers.
2: Wow. So <laughs> this is so good. This is so much better than I was even expecting. Um, so the, the gentleman that was the shop supervisor, was he basically promoted into that, even though he didn't really want to lead people?
0: Um, I, th- so that happened long before my time. I believe he was hired in as a shop <laughs> foreman. Okay. This is a perfect, perfect lead in Paul. He used to own his own shop. Oh, really? He used to own his own shop in California. So okay. I think that, you know, on paper, he looked amazing. Oh, you ran your own shop. Okay. Well then you can, you can lead a shop. Mm-hmm. Probably doesn't own his own shop. I don't know the, uh, the background, but you know, I know Mm -hmm. he moved to Kansas city, doesn't own his own shop anymore. Hired on as a, as a shop supervisor, Mm -hmm. probably not the right fit to own your own shop, to run your own shop (laughs) or to run a shop. Right. Not that he's not talented, not that he's not a phenomenal employee because he is, he's one of my top performers. He's, you know, but you know, a situation where I think just like we, we were talking about here is is the person in the right role? Mm-hmm. Just because you're a machinist doesn't mean you can run a shop. Sure. You know, absolutely. Maybe maybe get your shop, you know, but find find that find that outside resource that can help you run your business. If we mm-hmm. want to go back to kind of what our original <laughs> topic was, don't be afraid to step outside and say, Hey, I, I can make a piece of metal into a piece of art. Mm-hmm. but I can't balance a checkbook. So <laughs> <Sure. you> know, <laughs> who can help me balance a checkbook, right? I mean, I, I do it for free for, for small companies, small fab shops all over Kansas City. Talk to them about, you know, help them even set up simple things like building them an Excel spreadsheet with, with drop downs that, hey, you need help quoting work. Let me teach you how to quote your work. Let's talk mm-hmm. about, you know, what the <clears throat> process is that you do for your job and how you quote that correctly so that you make money. And let me build a spreadsheet for you with all kinds of drop downs and little things that you never have to think about it. You just click and click, drop, click, drop, click. And it tells you what that cost is gonna be. And then you tell the, you put in the little box how much money you wanna make on it. And it spits it out and tells you what you need to price it at, right? Right? Those resources are out there. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I know our community college here in Kansas City has small business courses that are free to small businesses. Um, There's other, you know, so if you wanna own your shop and go for it, know what you don't know, right? And know, Mm -hmm. and and do some digging on finding the resources. Don't be afraid to bring somebody in that's gonna help you run your shop better because those resources are out there. Right.
2: Excellent, excellent so i would love to dig into that topic that we uh keyed in on during the tour
3: um,
2: yeah
0: absolutely i love this i love this one we'll we'll uh <laughs> change the names to protect the innocent uh, sure. just so we absolutely. don't have any any problems but so three years ago UltraTech took on a project to uh machine and weld a ground support equipment piece of ground support equipment for the f-35 when I took over the company a year ago, we had about a 98% failure rate in the product. We were three years into the project. We had only delivered five pieces. There was 122 on order. So you know we were we were pretty far behind the eight ball. Um, that was one of my key focuses: is how do we get out from under this project? You know we've got a lot invested in it we've got a lot of material a lot of time a lot of effort and i'm sitting on crates and crates of scrapped parts why how what what the hell's going on here so i started pulling the technical specs i started pulling the drawings Uh, luckily i've got that background i'm just you know I'm, i'm not your typical corner office guy i've got that technical background that welding background that um Pressure vessel welding experience. So you know, I started looking at those technical specs and looking at that material, looking at the process involved in that material, and I started asking the right people the right questions. I brought in my lead welder, and my whole weld team. I brought them in, sat them down. What's there's I, I know there's something not right here. I know there's something not right. I can't put my finger on it, but there is something in this process that's not right. There's a there's a step. That is wrong. I need you to help me identify it. And again, right? Lessons learned. Nobody on this team had ever been brought in and sat down and said, "Tell me, tell me about this project and why it's not working." You know. And maybe some people are unsure of themselves and don't want to volunteer the information. Um, I think a a fundamental problem in this trade is the people on this side of the wall, not putting any value in the people on that side of the wall and listening again, listening to what they have to say and, and really uh, just being open to, to discussing those scenarios. So I brought in our engineering team. I brought in our, our welders. I brought in, you know, everybody that, that had that expertise. I know something's not right, but I'm not the expert in it, so let's talk to the experts. Welders said, Hey, you know, looks to me like there's a there's a heat process that's not right. You know, this there's 4140, there's a preheat, there's you're welding it, there's a heat treat, it's cracking at what stage is it cracking? Oh, it's cracking it at, at this stage. Oh yeah. No, that's a that's a heat problem. We we definitely have a heat problem. Okay engineers do some digging on the metallurgic properties and figure this, you know, and, and we all got the right people in the the room and sat down. And we took a very calculated risk. It could have, it could have easily gone South. We were three years late on a contract. So we have to gently um, tell our customer that they're wrong. And, you know, they build fighter jets. We don't. So that's a hard one to say, Hey, <laughs> Mr. fighter jet guy, I know you're the world leader in fighter jets and we're just some little small machine shop in Kansas city, but you've got a problem here and it's not us. And here's why it's not us. Right? We believe that the heat treat process at the temperature you spec'd out for this material is incorrect. We've talked to engineers, we've talked to welders, we've talked to the, the metal people there's a flaw in this process. Your specs are wrong. We're not doing any more work on your project until you do a full engineering review and come back to us. We send that letter off um and then, you know, then that that waiting game starts. Wow. But I was confident. I was confident in the information from my people. I took what what they had to say, I looked it up myself, made sure everything was on point. Obviously talked it over with my ownership team that, hey, this is, this is the risk, right? If we, if we push back, they can easily say, you're, you're late on your contract, we're canceling it, and we're stuck. Uh, but we're stuck anyways. We've got a 98% <laughs> failure rate, so let's just stop dumping money into this and let's sure. take a calculated risk and and push back. So we push back, and six weeks later, they called and said, you know what? You're right. There's a problem. We changed the material from the original design and we changed the process from the original design. The material is wrong. The heat treat process is wrong. Let's talk. So they came in, they sat down. You know, we we shared what we had in the project. Here's what we have in the project. I wanna get this project off my dock, into your lap. I need to support the war fighter, but I also don't wanna do it at a loss. And we've, we've dumped, You know, millions of dollars in this project. So, you help us, we'll help you. I'll give you some deadlines. We'll get the we'll we'll come up with a process to get it fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, But you got to have some skin in the game too. So, you know, we took a we we turned it around. We they they agreed. We agreed. We both uh, met in the middle and um, walked away. They're delivering product to them that, that works. Uh, fixed it. Figured out how to, to reprocess it, um, anneal it back down to a normal state. Fix the welds. Fix the cracks. Get it all, you know, acceptable mag pass mag particle. And they agreed that, you know, there needed to be some some offset in uh, in expenses. So, you know, that took us from losing to being a profitable company this year. It was a calculated risk. Uh, but if you got the right people at the table that are, that are vested in, in making sure that, that we succeed, right. That, that, uh, that, that risk goes, that risk factor is diminished. Right. So it was a, wow. uh, it was a huge win. It was unbelievable win.
2: That's a remarkable story. And I could imagine that before you sent them that letter and before you dug into all that, you know, their quality team and their buyers are just beating you up. Like, what's, what the hell is going wrong with you guys? Like, why can't you do this?
0: Every day. You're the NADCAP welding facility. You should know how to do this. We're doing it. We're doing it right. Per your specs, per your process. We're, you know, we're, we're, you know, so it's always, it's always going to fall back on the certified company of you're not, you know, you, you need to be doing it right. You're the certified company. You should be doing it right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, don't just roll the dice, though. You know, I mean, my my advice to, to everybody out there: don't just roll the dice. And and it's because it may not always work, but sure. you've got to have the data, you've <laughs> got to have the right information, you've got to have the right data backing up your, you know, your pushback. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to have have to be able to have the right conversation with with the person you're pushing back to. Sure. Don't just blindside them. And, and throw them a letter that says, you know, um, I mean, you know, I had that discussion up front. Hey, guys, listen, we've got, I think, you know, here's where we are. And, uh, okay, well, put it in writing. Got it. Mm-hmm. It's coming your way. Got but, it. You know, be open, be transparent. Again, even with your customers. Um, sure. Yeah. We, we miss deadlines. That's going to happen. Uh, I try to be as open and transparent on why we're missing a deadline and why we, we need a change as possible. And, um, not always our fault. Some, you know, a lot of times outside service processors or whatever the case is, but have those relationships and, and be able to have those hard discussions up the line as well as down the line. And it makes you running your business a lot easier.
2: Hmm. Well, so were you, um, Recording that through your main buyer or through the quality department of that customer?
0: Started with the main buyer with the discussion, mm-hmm. um, obviously escalated to the, to the program, the full program manager yep. from there. Okay. Um, you know, so I had that discussion there at that level, your buyer is always, you know, always want to make sure your buyer, you take care of that person. They're your advocate. They're, they're mm-hmm. the ones that are taking the heat for you being late or, sure right? They're the ones getting beat on, on a regular basis about deliveries. So mm-hmm. always try to take care of that buyer. They're going to be your advocate when it comes to, you know, going to the mat for you. And so, yeah. you know, I had that, got to have that discussion with the buyer, mm-hmm. have that, you know, and, and then they'll, they'll lay out the appropriate channel to escalate it. Uh, don't right. just jump over their head, you know, chain yeah. of command. I'm, I'm a big believer in the chain of command. Um, one, the chain of command needs to be followed. You know, obviously every, anybody's welcome to walk in my office at any point in time, but, you know, I'm not sure. going to just go above my buyer mm-hmm. because I think something's wrong. It goes back to the, you know, uh, the common courtesy, right? They don't, they don't want to be blindsided with something. They're your advocate. They're the ones that you're working with every day. That's where your relationship is. Mm-hmm. Let them pave that road up the line for you. Right. Instead of you just jumping over their head and, you know, making their job harder.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, <clears throat> I can imagine the <laughs> both the trepidation to do this, and then the sense of relief when they came back and said, "You are right." Like, what a validation!
0: And you know, we got we got follow on orders afterwards with the rev rolls as right. a result. You know, so yeah. I mean, it, it paid off not only for the current project, but for projects you know down the road.
2: Yeah. Well I know I mean my shop never faced anything quite that substantial but on small scales you know we would we'd make a part we'd inspect it to the drawing we'd send it to the customer you know and and on rare occasions they would come back and they'd say no this this part is is rejected you know it's not right and we would double check our our work our pe- our parts our measurements our technique and be like mm, I think I think it actually is right You know, and then we'd sit down with a discussion with their inspectors and our inspectors and talk about how they're doing it, how we're doing it, Um, you know, and uh, (laughs) there were many times where we were right, the parts were fine, you know, or, uh, you know, they're just, they were, they were using a method of measurement or even misunderstanding their own drawings, right? Some, some super complicated GD&T stuff and the receiving inspector may not totally understand exactly what the engineer had in mind.
0: Yeah, it's well, and they tend to—they tend to be—I mean, I hate to say it—but they tend to be bullies too, right? They want to—they just push it back, kick it back, and say, you know, your problem, not mine. Right. And so, you know, um, it's—it's—it's tempering that schoolyard bully on how to how to work together is is sometimes can be a challenge
2: yeah and i can empathize with them as well i mean i'm sure they're overloaded and trying to get parts through the door and keep right. their keep their 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 you know supply chain moving and their production lines moving so it's it's tough when things are uh, get sticky but um like per your you know per your comments just open communication is pretty much always the best approach right so yeah. whether it's vendors or customers or or uh, employees so wow um remarkable stuff well thank you for sharing that I, i'm sure there's a lot of shops that can that can relate you know on a smaller big or small scale that might uh hopefully you know have the courage to to get their ducks in a row and and kind of stand up for themselves because uh, yeah just because just because uh a company is a multi-billion dollar company does not mean they've got everything right that's for darn sure
0: right absolutely and you know bring the right people you know bring the right people in the room if if there's a a doubt. I mean, I pull my welders in, you know, I pull the weld certified weld inspectors in. pull the metal people in, get the right people in the room and listen Mm -hmm. and listen to them.
2: Yeah. Um, what, uh, I'd like to just kind of, kind of transition a little bit. Um, what, I mean, you've already shared so many big wins. Um, what are some of the things you're really focusing on today to look forward to the next, you know, 10 years? Um, with making sure that your shop has enough of the right kind of work and the right equipment and people to execute that. Um, yeah. What, what are you kind of looking forward to?
0: You know, I'm trying to get the right team. And I've got the majority in place, but trying to get the right team in place that are empowered to do their jobs, uh, that, that can make decisions, uh, know where the line is, but, um, you know, diversify our business. Ninety percent of our work is defense contracting, or you know, uh, and there's there's a lot of ebbs and flows and dips to that. So you know, sure. we're we're looking at actually trying to do kind of a um, two different P&Ls: an aerospace P&L and an industrial or commercial P&L, where we can run two different rates, run two different lines of business. And diversify our portfolio. We have a number of projects that are not aerospace related, uh, that are you know we'll say taken at a loss from a margin standpoint. But the reality is, is they're not. It's um, it's an absorption and it's a it's a spindle time, and um, goes to to keeping you know we're we're busy. We've got a, a tremendous backlog, but we're looking at trying to diversify that backlog and and do two different revenue streams and measure those revenue streams independently so that we Mm -hmm. have two different Mm -hmm. price points. Right. Uh, We, we definitely, um, are hoping in the next couple years to get some new machines. We haven't, you know, some of our older machines, we, we had an old machine that uh, hasn't run and we haven't used it in in a couple years. And we're actually donating that machine to the Goodwill industries locally. Uh, Mm. they have a, uh, Certified manufacturers program where they bring the underprivileged or underserved through and we helped uh, I met them at a chamber of commerce event, and it kind of escalated Um, They said hey, what are you guys looking for in the market? We said well, you know even even just the general somebody knowing how to read a set of prints and calipers is not even there so they said, "Well, that's that's good. we we want to start a manufacturing program. Let's focus on some of the needs that machine shops need." So we helped them write kind of write their curriculum, showed them some of the job descriptions and some of the responsibilities and what uh, lower you know the the like uh, just a general inspector, a receiving inspector that can read you know read a tape measure and read micrometers and be able to read a print or read a, a CFC or whatever. And then it escalated from there. They've already gone through three different uh, three different sessions. We've interviewed a, a number of them um, to, to consider for positions, whether it be assembly positions or inspector positions. Um, and then from there it was, hey, you know, I have this old machine in the back, this old three axis that really hasn't run in years, it runs, we just don't, it's too slow for our, our functionality. Um, it's not on the books with any value. Would you have a spot for it to, to take that training program to the next level? So that I'm really looking forward to getting that in place and working with those guys to, to create a funnel, a pipeline of people that have at least laid their hands on a machine. Uh, that, that can be beneficial to our market and maybe they can't come into an ITAR certified defense contractor from a uh, background check standpoint but there's a lot of other machine shops that don't need that or don't have that that don't have a pipeline of that next generation of people coming up so you know, from an outside of the company we're we're really looking forward to, to getting that finalized this year and working with the community to to develop that program and uh and then also, you know, again, diversify our, our portfolio to uh, grow our market share in the non aerospace or non defense business.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Uh, <clears throat> well, first of all, that's exceptional what you're doing with uh, with goodwill. Um, I think community engagement and workforce development is just such an essential part of what our industry needs to really do better at, uh, because the 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 shortages in and skilled labor is just so intense. So good for you guys. Do you have any targets for where you'd like to be in sort of your mix of of industries or customers within those
0: industries? You know, um, I do and I don't, right? right? 90% of our business is focused on defense, and I would really like to see more of a 60-40 split where 60% of our business is defense, 40% of our business is Commercial or industrial. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is, I don't have a sales staff right now. No. Okay. As we grow and develop, I'll add those roles. Uh, but to save on overhead and save on cost, I do a lot of our business development. Okay. But I've also hired. I took a risk and hired one of those lead generation companies. Never okay. used one in the past. Never believed in them. Didn't feel that they. You know that. I mean, snake oil, Mm -hmm. salesman, whatever, call it what you want. But what I found is, you know, trying to run the business, trying to change the culture, trying to restructure a company, replace employees, (laughs) redevelop and and grow and, and turn the company around, I needed to spread that load out. And the sales portion of it, while my program managers are phenomenal and do an unbelievable job at managing the accounts we have, we, we fall in that middle size range. So the uh, we, we can't continue to add overhead and we can't reduce our overhead. So we're in that tough position. Yeah. So how do I, you know, what, what's my force multiplier? And I met with a, a cold call. Somebody showed up on the door and said, hey, we're a lead generation company. Can we talk? I'm like, oh, you yeah. Know, whatever let's talk so what i did was i took a took a risk and and it was a three month i said listen i'm not signing off with you for a year i don't know you don't know what you can do so i'll give you a shot and it was five thousand dollars a month it was so fifteen thousand dollars i agreed to sign on for a a three-month trial and in that three months we 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 laid out a a target you know okay i want to get into um rail. I want to get into the rail industry. I want to get into maybe uh, some maritime business or some oil and gas business, Mm -hmm. uh, some other, you know, these these types of markets. And in the first three months, they got me in front of 26 potential non-aerospace accounts. Wow. Which I was shocked. I was I was literally blown away. And that's fifteen thousand.
2: And what is getting in front of? What does that mean? Meetings with them or quote opportunities?
0: And quote opportunities. So twenty six in twenty six meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them were you know virtual. If there were some around town, they were in person. But they got past the gatekeeper. They got me in front of the decision maker, and got me the opportunity to have the discussion about what your manufacturing needs are. Now, a lot of these folks already have a machine shop, they have relationships with, or uh, maybe have some internal capabilities. Sure. But out of those 26 uh, uh, meetings out of those 26 contacts that I had meetings with, I walked away with six quote potentials. And that was a total of $575,000 in quotes. So not, no, not a bad return on my, on, on the investment. Now mm-hmm. of those quotes, we, uh, were high on, you know, 50% of them. So we didn't win them, but gives us an idea of where we need to fall in that market to, to yep. adjust and adapt. That's
2: valuable.
0: A couple of the other ones, we've got good feedback and it was, you know, the RFQ process where they've quoted their customer and they're waiting on, and we follow up with them. and And I think that, you know, I, I'm confident that we'll see, we'll see something out of those. Um, I felt that it was successful enough that we signed up for another, uh, another three months. Mm-hmm. You know, so the cost, you know, <laughs> while it sounds like a lot, but compared to having a full-time staff, it's not
3: sure. sure.
0: And all I have to do is get one PO and it's paid for itself.
3: Right.
0: And, um, uh, so we're going down that road, experimenting with that until we get to a growth point where we can add the overhead. And mm-hmm. to be honest, if, if it continues to be successful, I may not even need to add the overhead maybe we we'll just continue down the road with them. Right. Uh, but it, it that's was neat. surprisingly, uh, beneficial. All
2: right. That's uh yeah, that's a creative. And I know, <clears throat> um, I don't know if, um, You'd want to share share their name um you can talk about that later or put it in the show notes if you do but uh yeah i know a lot of shops struggle with that same exact question you know i can't really afford a full time salesperson but i can't afford to not have one because right. i need i need to bring in the business you know the biggest um thing is uh having months where you're not meeting your break even and you're you're you know you're you're losing money your bank account's dwindling and you can only do that so long before uh for you know it's the end
0: yeah you know I'm, i i would absolutely i mean i think they would benefit you know it's uh it's a company in kansas city called the north star group um you know i it was beneficial that they were local i was able to sit down i'm a i'm a big advocate of you know face to face across the table and yeah. ask you the hard questions and watch you squirm or you know see <laughs> how you respond to those but sure. um well, they've been it's been like I said, I didn't believe in that business model. I've never needed that business model in the past, but now finding myself at a, at a smaller, running a smaller company where I don't have a sales staff and I'm trying to do a lot of different uh, aspects of the business, it's, it's proved valuable. So, Mm
2: -hmm. so you uh, mentioned, you mentioned that you had a really strong backlog. Maybe that's just in certain areas like welding, but, um, but I just yeah, so I'm just curious to ask. You have a backlog yet? You're going for new sales opportunities.
0: Correct. So you know we look at uh, capacity like everybody does, right? You've got machine capacity and you've got headcount capacity, right? And and based on on that, right? With my current headcount versus what my machine capacity is, I can add heads and and increase significant capacity. So. Um, we do have a very strong backlog for this year. Uh, we are at and, and adding to it and I want to add to it. And, um, so yeah. And, and, you know, we've added, we've added some new people. We, we run four ten 10 hour shifts. Uh, one of the, um, one of the changes. So Monday through Thursday, our day shift is six to 4.30, night shift is 4.00 PM to 2.30 AM. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our le- our night shift's a little lighter staffed, but we have got you know, obviously yeah. right. We've got room to add there. Uh, but you know, I want to uh, one of the one of the things that that's unique about a four ten hour shift and Fridays is overtime or makeup time days. You know, traditionally salaried employees get to come and go as they please. Go to a doctor's appointment. Go to a dentist appointment. Go to a kid's function. I want my I want my machinists to have the same flexibility and luxury as my salary employees. So we really use the Fridays to, hey, you need to take your car to the service shop at, you know, from noon to two on a Tuesday, punch out, go do it, come on back, you know, and make up the time on Friday. So Mm -hmm. I run a real flexible (laughs) schedule, but that kind of diverted diverted there. But I, I just feel that that's a critical piece to our success too is, is mm-hmm. the way you know, we work. Our schedule. I remember
2: you talking about that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. That's uh cause that, that's for some people make or break, right? That flexibility to take their kid to, t- to care, pick them up early, do what, you know, whatever they need to do. Um, they'd love right. to stay with you, but if you, if you're not flexible with their work hours, they, they can't.
0: Right? Yeah. I mean, everybody's got life outside of here and, and, you know, I want to, I want to impact your life outside of here as positively as possible, because you know you coming to work and being pissed off when you come to work doesn't do me any good. Sure. So you know, let's make sure that when you leave here, if you need to leave for a kid's appointment, you have that flexibility. You, you have that uh, that option. But um, anyways, back to our backlog. Uh, yeah, you know, I we we can we can pull in more overtime hours. We can pull in more headcount if we need to. Um, We've got some guys on the floor that are really working on uh, getting things to run lights out so we can get some of the things that we're going after. You know, We don't mind doing the one, two, three-piece development.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We don't mind doing a thousand-piece runs mm-hmm. and, and everything in between. So some of the areas that we're going after are those uh, lower complexity, not five-axis work, lower complexity work that we can put on a machine, we can set up. And we can run, you know, lights out or unattended um, to increase that capacity and I can slide that operator over to another, you know, two or three different machines. So sure. that's kind of some of the areas we're focusing on is that lower complexity work that doesn't need the attentiveness, some longer sure. run cycles uh, yep. to, to be able to, to increase that, that backlog.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate the distinction on machine capacity versus people capacity. I think that's a really important thing to to think about and to maximize spindle hours. Uh, like you said, even if it's just lower margin, but it's contributing um, right. to overhead and and uh, can really help improve the bottom line. So, well, Fred. Uh, I think we should start wrapping up. This has been a good long uh, episode. And like I said, I, I knew the story about the, the customer and the quality stuff would be good, but you have dropped so much knowledge just about the process you've gone through this whole year. I know people are going to find huge value out of it. So thank you so, so much. Uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for volunteering to help other you know, veteran-owned businesses. The pro bono work you do, that's amazing.
0: Oh, um, I appreciate that. Thanks yeah, you that's all.
2: fantastic. Um,
0: I appreciate the opportunity coming on, uh, sharing our, sharing our successes and our, our struggles and our pains. And, you know, I'm, I'm a phone call away, you know, we're all in this industry together. Somebody's got questions or, or, you know, looking for some help, I'm more than happy to, to lend an ear or, uh, you know, offer an opinion.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah. That's one of the things that just continues to make me feel so great about this industry. It's filled with folks like you that are just here to help you know, help others. We're all in it together. Um, so thank you for that. So if people do want to reach out or learn more about ultra tech, uh, how, how should they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, you know, um, uh, always, you know, utaero.com, U-T-A-E-R-O.com is the website. Um, uh, more than welcome. My email is a bit long, but, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's first initial last name. So F. Stipkiewicz at utaero.com or, you know, feel free to give me a jingle. My my direct dial's 2963
2: Okay. Wow. Awesome. Well, Fred, thank you again so much. Uh, this has been uh, just a really. Uh, re- I want to say it's a rewarding hour for me to to hear about your experience and what you've done with the shop. It's 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 really impressive. So, thank you for sharing. Uh, and uh, we'll hopefully see you around, maybe an NTMA event or something like that.
0: Absolutely. Appreciate it, Paul. Thank All you right. again for your time.
2: Take care.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Machine Shop Mastery Podcast. We hope you learned something that inspires you on your journey. You can find more episodes and information over on our website, MachineshopMastery.com. There, you can also apply or nominate someone to be a guest on the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, keep those spindles turning.